Man. Mm. Welcome to Soul Coffee, everybody. I'm your host, Dr. Jamal Frewster, Tucson chiropractor, provider of the providers, and just human being here, happy and excited as Soul Coffee is the space dedicated to providing for the provider and getting y'all resources and how to better take care of your energy, how to move through burnout, uh, and how to provide and take care of oneself. And today's guest, I've known this man what feels like a lifetime already, uh, but I've known him over the last several years. Uh, he is the owner, operator, and co-owner of uh, Centered Chiropractic in Clayton, North Carolina. He's one of our lead facilitators for Kairos Train Culture. He was the valedictorian from Logan University when he graduated back in 2016. Uh, he is a very, very, very proud father and husband as well, too. And y'all, he's, of course, one of my favorite human beings where I have a weekly, if not every other week call with him. And, you know, he was a real inspiration for learning how to craft and just bounce ideas off of when it comes to learning how to take care of oneself and really invited me to understand polyvagal theory in a deeper lens. But as we're both chiropractors, you know, I've seen him as a mentor, see him as an amazing friend, one of my favorite people I get to talk to and just bounce ideas off of with. So y'all, please, you know, fasten your ears to this conversation and how to be able to take care of oneself, understand the implications of burnout, understand where you might be and how to gauge yourself if you're feeling exhausted, if you felt chronic fatigue, if you feel tired, if you feel stuck, as I think we're going to give some really good tips, cues, and be able to lay things out in this next 45 minutes to hour or so. So welcome to the show, Dr. Jordan Bonham. Thank you, man. I appreciate the words and I could definitely echo most, if not all of them, back to you. I, I've loved our calls. I've loved having you as a, a mirror and a, a conversationalist. And it's been amazing mm. to go into this work with you as we've uh, seemed to have merged um, our path for the time being, which is very fun. Mm. It is very fun. I think it's important for our people to connect it deeper to your story, brother. And I'd love for you to just share, you know, what has been your embodied experience when it has come to burnout for you and your journey thus far? Um, so I'm actually, I, I feel like I'm in a state of burnout right now. Um, we just had, uh, our second kid. So our first, uh, kid Libby, she is four and a half. Um, and then we had our second kid, Leo, he is six months. So, um, that combined with, um, owning a practice that we're rapidly trying to transform, um, and just life, uh, I, I do feel like I'm in a state of burnout so I can, I can speak to this humbly right now saying um, not only am I in the middle of navigating um, the challenge that is burnout, but I'm also uh, learning and trying to apply some of these principles that we're going to get into um, right now. Uh, the embodied feeling of burnout, I, I think, is unique to individuals based on your history of trauma, because from what I recognize as a pattern for me, um, you know, when we're talking about polyvagal theory, we talk about that dorsal collapse, that dorsal shutdown. I've noticed that for some people that can look um, different. So I, I know that there's people who run um, from situations. They try and escape and, and distance themselves. Um, I know that there's people who um, numb and, and, and harden, which is my pattern. I, I try not to feel all that is um, going on and, and happening with me and harden myself off to the world. Um, and I think that there's probably a myriad of, of other ways that people express 
uh, dorsal vagal shutdown, which is the more polyvagal uh, description for burnout. My embodied feeling, um, I tend to feel very um, shaky, unstable, chaotic in, inside of me. Um, mm. And one thing I've noticed as a uh, strategy, so as you know, I, I do love my coffee. I love some caffeine. Um, and I've noticed that stimulants especially push me deeper into that feeling of chaos and, and unsteadiness. Mm. So, mm. you know, again, looking at the world around us, um, are stimulants readily accessible or not readily accessible? Mm. Um, so I've been having to curtail um, my use of caffeine, um, which is challenging. You know, again, six month old kid. Um, there was a lot of low sleep, um, days and nights and, and a lot of tiredness and that, uh, had me reaching more and more for the caffeine. And I started to notice that, that, that would shake my system up even more. Um, mm -hmm. so I've had to find other strategies surrounding that. Um, I also found a lot less drive towards, um, growth and expansion and learning. Um, typically, you know, I'll wake up in the morning, I'll have a little bit of a morning routine, go into the office, see people, come home, spend some time with family. And then I'll usually round out my last 60 to 90 minutes of the night, either reading or going into um, different study um, in our field, whatever, whatever I'm feeling attracted to at the moment. Um, and for the past few months, I, I just have not had the um, drive or the, the passion, I guess, to sit down and really dig in for that last 60 to 90 minutes of the day. Um, and what I noticed is when I'm not in burnout, that doesn't feel like work. It feels nourishing when I am in burnout. It feels like a lot of work. Um, so yeah, I, for, as a baseline, I think that that's pretty, uh, cohesive in terms of what I'm feeling right now. Mm. I love a lot of things that you said. I love one. It's important. I think for the listeners to be able to start to quantify and qualify, what are the symptoms that you may feel when you're starting to experience things? And as you know, JB just mentioned, it's important to understand your trauma and as trauma can under, can appreciate and highlight your behavior and how or why you might be showing up, whether it be, you know, maybe you flight or maybe you fight, you know, maybe you're becoming more combative, more resistant, more um, jagged around your friends, your families, your loved ones, your patients, or maybe you just want to peace and just jump into a very big hole and just not come out or um, even what's your uh, Jordan reflects this. It's like, what's your trap door even sometimes? Like, what do you just default to as I think that's going to be a whole conversation as well, too. Uh, what do you reach for? What are your quote unquote, your vices? What are your, the things that you're relying on to be able to try to regulate your nervous system? What are you addicted to? What comes out? And it's also important too. Uh, I think it's important because, you know, he just reflected that he is in a state of burnout for now. And that's a very, very, very important point. Just because you might be experiencing something in your neurology for the moment doesn't mean you're going to experience it forever. It doesn't mean you're going to, um, it's, it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be able to recognize where you are. If anything, it's a good thing because keep in mind, burnout is just a symptom of a dysregulated nervous system for the moment. And now the importance, if you're here or you've been there or you might be on the way there, it's important to be able to name the beast. It's important to quantify it and see how long have you been there? Where have you been there in the past? And then like, like Jordan just mentioned, being able to recognize the different aspects to what that may look like for your own body, for your own mind and for your own experience in this life.
Yeah, and I think, um, you know, to, to highlight what you just said, the, the um, ability to recognize what you're feeling um, is so important for two reasons. One, the symptoms that we're getting are little messengers from within that are helping us to recognize where we are, take notice of that, and then shift course if we don't want to be there. Um, so we know that our body, our nervous system, our endocrine system, all of the different uh, pieces of us that help us to experience this world fully are supposed to be dynamic. It's when they become static that when, when, they, when they stand still and they're not changing that we have problems. Mm. And the other part of that is I lived in a state of um, dorsal vagal shutdown for over 10 years, and I didn't know that's what it was. Mm. And the problem with that is when you are, when you are in a, a state of altered nervous system um, function, like fight or flight, like dorsal vagal shutdown, but you don't know how to identify, you start to create a story in your mind. And that story, when it, when you are playing it over and over in your mind becomes more a part of your persona and your character and less a feature of a current state of expression. And what I mean by that is the reason I was able to stay in dorsal shutdown for a decade, almost completely uninterrupted was because I had no idea that that was even going on. I thought that that's just who I was. I thought that I was a very rigid, very hardened, very closed down um, dickhead. Like if you come at me, I'm going to come at you 10 times harder personality. Um, and it was because of the story that I had told myself for years and years and years out of a state of um protective adaptation from the the way the, the environment that I grew up in. Um, and I don't think that um, I need to get into too much detail because everybody's environment um, surrounding whatever trauma that they've experienced is totally different. The importance of it is recognizing what that environment made you experience and made you feel what your response to that feeling was or that um, the, the experience that you were having the story that you told yourself and does that story align with who you truly believe yourself to be? Or do you believe that you're stuck maybe in that, that state of neurology and could pivot out with some tools like polyvagal theory? Mm. One thing I think is so important that you just reflected is that if you don't, like you, like you said, if you don't recognize things, well then you can't do anything about it. And I, I do think a lot of people just accept that they are a certain way, especially before they get their coffee, especially if it's afterwards and they just got their wine. You know, they got, I can't, I can't talk to anybody until I have my post-shift wine. I can't talk to anybody until I have my morning coffee. And I think it's important because we can often succumb to these personality traits as if they are fact and true. When in reality, we are not that and we are not and we don't we weren't born into this world without a lack in coffee without a lack of prescription drugs without a lack of anything outside of us we came beautiful born and regulated and one thing that i think was important as well too as god i can see this conversation going so anyways and uh dr gabor mate talks about uh people pleasing and addiction mm -hmm. and that brings in a whole realm because as we are developing, our brains are still developing men all the way up until I think we're 25 women until they're, I think about 21, 23. And why is that important? It's important because I see this opportunity to understand what is the story that you've crafted around getting your needs met. And as your needs 
build the bridge to bring you from a stress state to a relaxed state or from a dorsal vagal shutdown state back to a ventral vagal, va ventral vagal shutdown, shutdown state, <laughs> it's important to be able to appreciate what are those needs and what are the stories that come up when it comes to getting those needs met because it is our second, it is second nature to become a people pleaser. It is second nature to become that insert person here that's moody or that's rude or that's callous or that's whatever. The first nature he talks about is, well, babies don't worry about, oh, well, if I cry, well, then my mom or dad is going to, you know, be tired of getting up or whatever it may be. Because then when we can recognize, nah, it's actually first nature to get our needs met, which goes into a need for attachment, he talks about, because attachment isn't a bad thing. I've learned or unlearned that attached, there is no healthy attachment, but actually attachment actually is a great thing when it comes, when it's a secure way to help get our needs met. And as human beings, that doesn't dissipate. We still, especially if when we're in healthcare providers or parents um, or any person that might be holding space, if they don't get their needs met, well, then they're going to falter to a state of burnout, state of depression, anxiety, and then these different pain points of the body are going to come out in abundance. For sure. And I think one of the biggest things to discuss about um, addiction is addiction. A lot of people think that addiction is um, something that helps you feel a different way. So if you're addicted to your morning coffee, the coffee helps you feel awake. If you're addicted to people-pleasing, people-pleasing helps you to feel like you are keeping people like happy and satisfied, especially when people pleasing is, is a part of your occupational role. Mm. But addiction is actually something that helps us to not feel, uh, meaning the Ooh. coffee in the morning helps us to not feel the level of exhaustion. The people pleasing helps us to not feel the potential um, guilt of disappointing somebody else or, um, you know, any of the negative feelings that can come with holding a boundary for yourself. And all of those things that we're addicted to help us to not feel uncomfortable emotions that at one point we were either um, exposed to by our own actions um, and, and created a behavioral pattern around, or we were told um, to be a good little girl and a good little boy and be nice or, you know, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Those are just two examples that, um, you know, came up in conversation, but all addiction is designed to help you not feel a negative emotion. Um, but the problem with that is it also, it, it challenges you to, um, or it actually, it, it prevents you from feeling the bigness and the fullness of that emotion, learning from it and creating new strategies so that you can go back into regulation rather, rather, rather than being stuck in a cyclical process of feeling response um addiction pattern and then you go now you've distanced yourself from that emotion from that feeling now you can't experience it fully now you can't learn from it now you can't pattern change mm, because so it's, it's making people more stuck because they they haven't felt the fullness of the feelings because they've run away from it and a lot of people they often do gain so much awareness and gain so much uh, wisdom from their emotions because, I mean, this is a whole nother conversation, but I'm studying human design a lot more. And human design is so great because it incorporates the Kabbalah, it incorporates chakra systems, it incorporates astrology, it incorporates quantum physics. It, 
it incorporates these these big disciplines that then give an empowerment to someone's authority and how they need to move through life and how they need to pay attention and how they can leverage and pay attention with their inner authority so that way they can help unwind things so i'll drop human design as a resource for people because it was actually uh, i think channeled in 1987 and the author of a book that i'm reading uh, understanding human design she was actually a nurse before she studied with this man and she and she often experienced burnout because she was so sensitive as a creature and she didn't know how to regulate her energy afterwards and that's why it's so important for us to be able to understand energy because when we can understand energy and how we can revisit certain energetic states and certain energetic previous spaces in our history in our story in our neurology in our nervous system and how those same energetic states might show up when we revisit a similar trigger or environment well then we can unwind them and we can pay attention to them more and we can like you said doc adapt yeah yeah and i, I feel like even the concept of energy gets um overly mystified the way that I relate, I mean, I can feel, you know, as I've um, been in this, this space and this work for a lot longer, um, I don't need to cognitively understand it as much because I can feel it and I'm more comfortable with that. Um, but for anybody who the word energy can be slightly triggering for or even confusing to, mm -hmm. um, energy is the potential energy that is harnessed inside your body that you are going to make a decision and turn into action. That's it. So if the energy in you is screaming for a way out, like uh, Jamal had mentioned earlier, the trap door, um, currently there is too much stimulus in your environment and you are trying to get away from all of that stimulation, your potential energy is probably going to feel like stress. Um, and you can, you can name that as specifically as you want, but for the, the purpose of right now, stress. And the way that you convert that from potential energy into um, action is by making a decision. How am I going to get out of this state? Some people leave the environment and re-regulate on their own. Um, some people find a co-regulation like a ventral anchor, whether that's a person, a place, a thing or idea. Um, and some people try to find an escape like a vice to completely negate the feelings altogether. So, um, energy, if you, if you're feeling triggered by that word or confused by that word, whatever you're feeling in you and how you change that into action. Mm. Whatever you're feeling in you and how you change it into action. I appreciate that because we're supposed to feel these things and receive and be sensitive to these energies within us because they do give us an awareness if our needs are getting met or not met. And based upon, you know, polyvagal and that the ventral branch of the vagus nerve developed, I believe two or 200 million years ago versus dorsal vagal, which was created, I believe, 500 million years ago, and that was the first. Then the sympathetics, they developed like 400 million, four, 400 million years. So it's like an invitation because we're one of very few mammals, if not, I think, one of the only mammals that has that ventral vagal expression in us. And that's important because we can then be able to navigate consciously to it versus just getting stuck in a space where we might be stressed. We might be, in, instead of just defaulting to that immobilization or just defaulting to, I don't know, you just, I just think of a dog. But even a dog, it can differentiate. It might 
react if you like step on its tail or step on its paw and it might yelp or it might growl for a second, but it can differentiate between that was purposeful or that was an accident. And it will be able to come back into that space. Human beings, I think, not that we necessarily have just that the that ventral vagal branch, but we have a responsibility to come back to that space, I think, as much as we can, because when we're in ventral vagal, well, then we can show up present and presently and powerfully for ourselves, let alone for our patients and for those around us that we're holding space for that we've intentionally tried to craft this life for, which is so, so good. Yeah, and, and what differentiates humans from the other mammalian species that have the ventral vagal, the sympathetic and the dorsal vagal is the story is our ability to um, curate a fictitious narrative in our minds that not only justify our behaviors, but rationalize the way we're thinking and feeling. A dog's not going to do that. So even to take it a step further, like everybody knows when somebody has two or three or four, you know, a bunch of pets. And um, let's Mm. say there's two dogs and one of them passes. Mm. The other dog mourns. You can see it happening but they don't mourn for the rest of their life. Mm. They mourn for a reasonable amount of time. And then they start to find regulation again, typically through kinship with their, with their owner. Mm. How many times have you seen people who lose somebody um, and go into a state of uh, dorsal collapse and just stay there? Cause they, they don't have the capacity to re-regulate, Ooh. you know, and, and they create a story around, you know, they lost this person and this person meant X, Y, and Z to them and helped them do this, that, and the other. And now, because that person's no longer here, they are stuck in this new state. And it's a story. Um, so, I, I mean, one of the most powerful things that we can do is be mindful to the the dialogue and the narrative going on between our ears. Because I think that that's actually, you know, you talk about like uh, manifestation you uh, what you think about comes about if the story you're telling yourself has you stuck in one set of patterns thoughts actions and behaviors that's where you're going to stay change your story and i'm not going to say you know you start telling yourself a new story and it just changes overnight but it takes repetition and effort efforting towards changing your um, current state of being and i think that's that's one thing that i definitely want to mention and i'm just going to do it here because it fits None of this is easy. The easiest thing is getting that next coffee or smoking that next cigarette or lighting that next bowl or drinking that next beer or watching that next porn video or uh, whatever, you know, whatever it is, whatever the habit that, you know, spending that next dollar at the casino, there's a million vices and they're so interpersonal and it is so much harder to decide not to go to that thing because it's convenient and easy which i think that we should discuss also why those things are so convenient and easy um it's a lot harder to find a state of regulation to decide against the easy thing and work on the hard thing and see a different future than to stay stuck in your story stuck in your pattern and and reach for the things of convenience that um, don't bring us regulation, but trap us in our dysregulation. <laughs> this is so good. I want to touch on one point on loss, as I think when people put a lot of their emotional weight, perhaps in a person, and it's not a bad thing. Like say it's your, God forbid, it's your parents or it's a best friend or it's whatever it may be. I think when a lot of people get stuck in that pattern of dorsal vagal shutdown or 
um, they start to flirt into the sympathetic realm and whatever, maybe or they're just jaded or whatever. They need to address that attachment to just one person versus, well, we, we, would, we would live in tribes. There was up to hundreds of people that we'd be able to confide into. Dr. Gabor was telling a great story. He was like a lot of kids. Their kids, when they're growing up in a tribe, they have 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, so many adults available to them to help get their needs met. Why am I offering this? I'm offering it as a means of kids are learning how to co-regulate their system and it comes through their primary caregivers, which is okay, but when there's an abundance of those, when there's a lot of resources around those, when there's so many options, when it's just regular to live, Versus being in a two to six person household unit by itself, where you might not even be talking to your neighbor because it's not even safe. Community and maximizing community is so important. So that way when one part of the community goes down, which inevitably is gonna happen because we're just like nature, or we are nature, excuse me, the hell. We are nature, like just as this, if a leaf goes down, you know, there's still so many other leaves that are part of the branch or sequoia trees like if one sequoia tree is on fire is experiencing um, an infestation of insects then the other trees which are underneath the ground will stay rooted and they'll be able to give it resources give it water give it life give it love give it energy so that we can adapt so the power of community is so so important and in the absence of community and i'll say in the absence of awareness the community has of where you're at that will determine the rate or at least play a very big factor in the rate in which you can adapt through this pattern. Yeah, and, and what's one of the areas um, of the highest loss of tribe and community is the workforce. Hmm. We, we are seeing all areas of society, um, you know, work, and home and friends um, become less assimilated. Meaning it is so much more common that you are either going to work and you know almost nobody, uh, maybe one or two people that you've found a bond, you know, a partial bond with. Um, oftentimes these people aren't even people that you're spending time with outside of work. And then, um, you know, look at our, our push towards working from home. So now we've even lost that community. And then our home space is also less, um, you know, in, in, in a state of tribalhood. So, you know, we have dysregulated families. And then we have those families living in neighborhoods without connection. Um, so just seeing this ripple effect through society and, and it, you know, to you and I, I think it makes perfect sense why people are struggling. Um, the the fix is not easy, but the when you look around, the the ways that we got here, um, two hundred thousand years plus of human civilization, um, of humanity, the way that we got to where we are now has been through tribe, community, kinship, and in our um, brilliance. We have made life so convenient. We have made life so, uh, quote unquote, easy, because I don't want to, again, this is not easy, but we've taken the need to defend ourselves from predators. We've taken the need to hunt and gather and provide resources and, and navigate and, you know, all those things out of the equation. Um, and the new challenges are paying bills, uh, getting needs met, 
uh, spending time with family, work-life balance. You know, all the all the things that are part of our day-to-day now are the new threats to our um, survival and sustainability. And we have not really found a good solution for navigating those because we've disjointed ourselves from each other so, so much in that pursuit. And I think one of the biggest areas um, where this is happening that you and I are native to is is healthcare. If you know, Dr. Brett Jones taught both of us a very powerful lesson, and it was that you can only allow somebody to heal to the extent that you are healed. As a healthcare workforce, how dysregulated is our freaking nervous systems? Yeah. And therefore, how much can we show up and hold space for the people who need us to hold space for them and, and to regulate ourselves and, and give them a place to co-regulate from and embody the principles of regulation and ventral vagal in front of them so that they can at least be in the energy of that rather than our healthcare workers either being in a state of fight or flight um, and panic and disarray or shutdown. I, I genuinely don't give a fuck anymore. Um, and I think a lot of people in the in the general public could probably relate to that. They've seen providers that it seems like they could give a shit if they're in their office or not. They could give a shit if the solution that they're providing works or not. Um, they're just checking another box on another Tuesday um, in the middle of November. And tomorrow will be another day. Mm. And that's so dangerous because we're we're rapidly approaching a society that is not only completely shut down and burnt out, but we're also rapidly approaching a society that doesn't know that that's happening and has no tools for getting out of it. Mm. Mm. What I'm hearing is tool, lack of tools, lack of recognition. And as you, I mean, just reflected, it's so important to appreciate as I, I think I heard recently, I pieced together recently, I forget, was it Brett? Someone said it, but it's like an evolution of the conversation. You can only help someone to the extent in which you've helped, helped yourself heal. And maybe it was Dr. Gabor, but it was someone, it was, it was, it was good shit. And that sets this, for me, it sets the space. It sets a potentiality because if we are in a dorsal vagal shutdown, if we're in a stressed and sympathetic space ourselves, for me, it just doesn't, it, it, it puts a cap to how much we'll be able to be able to take care of somebody and provide for them and be sensitive to them. And a main word is attuned to them. When the gazelle is just chilling, it's in complete ventral vagal munching out some grass and then it hears something, it's like when you're in a ventral vagal space, you can be the most sensitive and aware to where others might be versus if that if that gazelle is in a stressed state, not just acutely, but for chronic levels of time, which is something that's very, very important to be able to appreciate in people's health as well too, that depletes us. And it, I think it dulls us and it dulls our senses because we've been in this perpetual state of i say i say sports mode when they're supposed to be able to do these different superhuman tasks or be able to like lift that car to save a kid or be able to move however it is that we're supposed to but when it's chronic that's when these very primordial powerful resources when they've been deployed in our system the matter or the body just doesn't respond in the way that it's used to or the way that it used to be able to do so because it's just been puttering for so long now. So that's why someone's been, even just some of the new nurses or some of the new healthcare professionals, they're already tired. 
And they just got out of school, which is very important to be able to address. And I just had great conversations with a friend out here in Tucson and she's a resident and she just shares the level of dysregulation that she's noticed in others and that she goes to school with as they don't even take care of themselves. They don't even move their bodies. They don't, they don't exercise. And there's no shame in any of this, but movement is essential for life. And if our healthcare providers, that's just one example of our healthcare providers aren't taking care of themselves. Like it, it, for me, it just puts a cap on everything because there's a lack of space. There's a lack of tools and there's a lack of recognition, like you said. For sure. For sure. And so you highlighted several of the, cause you know, the next question is, so what, like, what is somebody supposed to do? If, if somebody's mm -hmm. identifying with, oh yeah, I've been stuck in fight or flight or yeah, I've been stuck in a, a, a feeling of shutdown or yeah, I've been grabbing at um, vices and addictive tendencies for a while now, but, like, what are we supposed to do? Mm -hmm. um, you've already highlighted a couple of them, a couple of them. Movement is a, is a primary feature of life. Uh, the great Jerry Seinfeld, he has a quote, um, and I'm going to screw it up, but it, it's, it's surrounding movement. I, I think it says, um, movement is a fundamental prerequisite for life. So one, it's, it's actually one of the identifying factors for life. Can some, does something have the ability to move itself? Um, there's numerous studies showing movements, uh, exercises, ability to shift anxiety and depression. So physiolo neurophysiologic states of the body are able to be improved through just exercise. Um, another one that we've talked about is recognition. And recognition can only really happen in a state of um, ease and calm and still and quiet, typically. Um, a lot of people will call that meditation. It can be called whatever you want. It can be called prayer, meditation. Um, you could be doing mantras, you could be doing whatever. Um, but having a period of time where you are still with yourself, um, and just seeing what feelings are coming through and what thoughts are coming through. Um, I don't, I, I really think it's just the awareness. Um, you know, what thoughts drift through my consciousness or subconsciousness when I'm not driving them. And do I agree with those thoughts or do I disagree with those thoughts? Do I want more of those thoughts or do I want less of those thoughts? And until you take that space, you have no idea that those thoughts are happening. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you're driving, if you're looking for your exit, you don't really notice the other exit signs because they're not in your awareness. They're not in your consciousness to be trying to pay attention to it. So if you're not trying to pay attention to the thoughts and ideas and feelings that are coming through your system, simply because you don't have any experience doing it, um, you're going to miss a lot that's happening in your life and go into a state of autopilot. So movement, um, meditative space, quiet, um, reflective space, um, how you nourish yourself. You know, your body can um, only perform and adapt and react and be um, optimized to the level that you optimize it. So your, your level of nourishment um, is going to be the fuel that you have to create change, to create beneficial action. Um, and then mindset, you know, how, again, this story, how, what you think, what you believe, what you, um, have been exposed to, what you, um, have learned throughout your, the course of your life and the experiences that you've had that have generated some of those, um, belief systems that you have, um, do you align with them? Do you, do you think that they belong 
in your integrated neurology? Or are you noticing that there's a lot of thoughts, feelings, beliefs, ideas, behaviors that you don't align with and can um, autonomously say, I do not want those anymore? Because the beauty of all of us is we get to be whatever we want to be. Um, one of the things that I am working on within my own self right now is um, separating myself from the victimhood of my upbringing. Because the strongest story that I hold is the oldest story that I hold. And it is that um, when too much stress happens in my life, that I am not strong enough to um, combat it or, or stand firm against it. Um, and even less so I'm, I'm not able to climb out of it positively, meaning I, I, I can't be in a state of growth. I can't be in a state of, um, excellence and acceleration right now. Um, so what that has looked like for me over the past few months is I've gotten away from exercising. I've gotten away from reading. I've gotten away from learning and growing because each of those things requires effort. And right now, the thing that I have the least of is energy. But all of that is a mindset. Because in reality, I know that if I had to, I could get a workout in a day. It might not be at the hours that I prefer it to be, but I can do it. It might not even look how I prefer it. You know, if I like a one hour gym session where I get to go and do my thing and blah, 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 but I don't have an hour in my day because I just had a new baby or my job changed or, you know, whatever the circumstances are in your life. If you paint a picture that something has to look a certain way. And if it's not that it's incomplete, you're going to be stuck. Mm. The flexibility and the variability that you can create in yourself to create positive, actionable change is what gets you out of the stuck space. So for me right now, I'm looking at all the different ways. And the reason I haven't acted yet, I'll get to at the end of this, but I'm looking at all the different ways that I could modify where I can read um, every day, even if it's just for five minutes where I can get back into some of that study, even if it's for 20 to 30 minutes a night and not a complete 60 to 90 session, I can go bust out a 10, 15, 20 minute hit workout. I just need to have the resources in place to make it more easy. The reason that I haven't done this yet is I am cultivating these resources and making sure that they're easily accessible because another thing that is really challenging for people in the state is failure. So if I set a course of action to read for 10 to 15 minutes a day and create um, five to 10 minutes of silent space for reflection and get it at bare minimum, a 20 minute hit workout in, and I start to, you know, I say, all right, I'm going to start Monday and it doesn't happen Monday, whether I get two out of the three or zero out of three, doesn't matter. Um, Tuesday, same thing, Wednesday, same thing, you know, and these challenges and what, what do people do? They say, fuck it. And they give up because repetitive failure is really hard for all of us. So what I'm doing right now is I'm putting energy into the planning so that the execution has the lowest chance of failure possible. Meaning I'm looking at my day and I'm seeing there's 10 minutes right there. There's 15 minutes right there. There's 20 minutes right there. And I'm also paying attention to the ways that those um, spaces of time are um, challenged. Meaning if there's 20 minutes right here, but it depends on my six month old taking his nap or not taking his nap, that's yeah. not the most stable foundation. 
So I need to be very clear on the where, the when, and the how, and create as much structure and ease around those things so that I have the highest chance for success. And then whenever I go into that, I know that not only have I I been very selective with what I'm doing and when I'm doing it, but I've cultivated these things because I know that they are going to help me regulate my nervous system and my energy better. That's so good. I really think that that's one of the main keys that I haven't heard someone been able to define in that way. And it's what you're doing. You're embodying a flexible nervous system. Because with all of this work, we don't want y'all to just be happy-go-lucky, ventral vagal all the time. We want you to be able to navigate dorsal vagal shutdown, sympathetic uh, activation, and be able to come back home to ventral vagal. Like, that shit is sexy. That shit is... Say it again. <laughs> We've That's got it. a culture and a... We, so it, you can scoop through Instagram for 10 seconds and find a life coach here or a this coach there or whatever because all of us are searching for permanency in the ventral vagal state. What is ventral vagal state? It's ease, it's joy, it's love, it's peace. all the good. It's peace. peace. It's peace. Keep okay? going. Keep we going. are all looking for that. Every fucking person on this planet is looking for that. This planet is not designed for us to stay in that. It never has been. You just mentioned the gazelle. The gazelle's out eating its fucking breakfast and the lion's trying to bite his ass that's not ventral vagal, okay? That at at best is sympathetic. That that gazelle is going to get out and get going and get away so that it can fight another day. Now, what happens if that gazelle gets caught? Is it actually goes into dorsal shutdown? If the lion catches the gazelle, the gazelle is going to go into a state of emotional hibernation, which is shutdown, so that they do not have to fully experience their likely death. Um, that's protective. What has happened in us is we have wrapped story around it and we either get stuck in sympathetic drive or uh, dorsal vagal shutdown and we live there. We need flexibility and dynamicness in our nervous system so that whenever we get up in the morning and we have our morning drink and we do our morning breath work and our movement and we're regulated and we're primed for a fucking awesome day. Mm. And then five minutes down the road, we either get rear-ended or we get stuck in traffic or our kid won't put their fucking shoes on and we're going into sympathetic. Yeah, I got you, you parents out there. You're going into these sympathetic states that are echoing and reverberating off of learned experiences and your traumas that you embody, which is what makes them so much more difficult when you're not connected to them. These these little perturbances, like your kid not putting their shoes on or getting stuck in traffic or whatever, become so much more meaningful when they are vibrating against the things that you already have stored in your body because now it's connected to your emotional memory system. So it's connecting you to things that have already happened and your brain wants to behave differently for a different outcome. And what ends up happening is we all get stuck in these states that are because they happen so much. So if it's mm. you know 40 times a day that your nervous system is getting challenged to go into sympathetic um, fight or flight, if you don't have any resources for number one, getting back to ventral, which I call ventral anchors, which is why I'm sitting next to a fire right now, because it's a very strong ventral anchor anchor for me. Oh, it's so good. Um, if you don't have ventral anchors and if you don't have a flexible nervous system, you're just going to get stuck in that pattern because of the frequency of the stimulus. 
you also need to be able to find strategies for decreasing the frequency of those stimuluses so that your nervous system doesn't get burnt out. Mm, that's that's fuck, that's fucking key. So one thing with Venture Vega coming back home, sometimes it's it's not even just about it's about lowering the levels of stimuli that might be coming in, but that only goes us so far. We need to craft stimuli anchors, different things in our environment and be able to recognize them. So that way there's this scales of, I'll say stressful stimuli versus peaceful stimuli. And you can lower the stressful stimuli, but if you don't increase the peaceful stimuli and things that you can recognize, your ability to come back home will be limited, which is why it's important to take care of your environment, which is why epigenetics comes in so much, which is why this multidisciplinary way of living, I'll say holistically, is so important to take care of things because like JB just mentioned as well too, stressors can be accumulative, traumas are accumulative and trauma, it's important to reflect like from Erica Cooney and from a number of different guests, it's not the thing itself, it's what happens and distorts internally that then we carry with us for so much that way. Yeah, when your kid isn't having a meltdown, not putting on their shoes, you're combating so much to not also have a meltdown as well too because there's been an accumulation of things non-consciously because if you're not aware then it's just going to stack and the importance of the non-conscious lack of recognition is that that's what governs 90 to 99 percent of our thoughts actions behaviors habits emotions etc so that's why it's important that's why we're offering utilize your conscious mind to bring awareness and to shift your life. And that's neuroscience back. That's neuroplasticity back. That's Dr. Caroline Leaf's work coming out, coming in with cleaning up your mental mess as she's crafted something that's helped reduce anxiety and depression by 81% over the course of 63 days. And a lot of it comes with taking inventory, taking recognition of, because I think one of my favorite quotes from the book anchored was that you can come home or the the equipment and the tools to come home are always available. The light is always on. We just got to make sure that we can craft the path and we can find the steps to come home, which it's a, this is a process, by the way, y'all. It's a process, this, which is a part of, I, I want to hear from JB, you know, why, you know, why have things been so convenienced and what can we do to build reverence for the process and reverence for building the mastery of this skill set? Yeah. So to um, preface this part, I, I'm actually, so we are with our son, Leo, we are helping him learn how to self-soothe, um, especially around sleeping. I think this is probably one of our first um, initiations as humans into regulation. Are we able to self-regulate or do we need um, external co-regulation? And what this can look like is when parents get stuck holding their kid through all their naps um, or they get a pacifier um, that the kid like latches onto and will not let go of as they age um, because they've not learned the ability to self-regulate. The interesting thing is the co-regulation factors are always external. The self-regulation factors are always accessible because they are a part of you. So when we when we expand that out into adults and humanity, our regulating factors, our self-regulating factors are always accessible to us. Breath, movement, stillness, reflection, all of those things we can do at any moment because they are features of our being that we can access. 
they take effort. It takes effort to be still and to be silent. It takes effort to move your body. It takes effort to um, reflect deeply on yourself and what you're feeling and, and, and why you're feeling that and what it's connected to in your lineage and all of those things. Um, it takes effort to do breath work. It, so all of these things are readily accessible, but they, they require effort to um, work with. A lot of the things that are co-regulating require a lot less effort and have been painted with a face of convenience. How easy is it to get a coffee nowadays? Mm. There is a coffee shop on every freaking corner that will provide you with whatever specialty drink that you want. Mm. Um, how easy it is, is it to get access to tobacco, to nicotine, to alcohol, to pornography, to cannabis, to all of it, pharmaceuticals. Um, our ability to self-regulate is dropping at the same rate that our our need for external regulatory factors is increasing. Mm, Meaning the more that we support this economy of vices and addictions, the less we are supporting the economy of our own self-regulation. Say that shit again. What did you just say? The more we are supporting the economy of our vices and our addictions, which are the external regulating factors, the less that we are supporting our own internal regulating factors. And therefore, what we're creating is, I mean, because the marketplace listens, right? So the marketplace is identifying that convenience is king. Amazon will ship stuff to your house in three hours sometimes. Or right. if not, you'll get it in a day or two. Right. Um, we no longer have to go to the movies for a specific showtime. We can just fire it up on the TV. Um, we can have our groceries dropped at our house. We can have lunch dropped at our workplace. We could get um, a pack of cigarettes door dashed to us. We, I mean, there is so many ways to get all the things that we need at our fingertips. And the only energy that you need to use is currency, mm. is money. So we've switched our internal energy that used to help us create space and boundaries for our own internal regulation into a space where we're using our money, our currency as energy for external resources to help us quote unquote regulate. But like we've mentioned so many times already, anything that you're bringing in from the outside in is actually dysregulating you. It is making you less empowered to regulate yourself at any given moment. Holy shit. This is good. We are in a state where we're not able to regulate and take care of our internal energy or internal economy. Therefore, we're, le I'll say, leveraging or sacrificing, burning, utilizing the external energy or the external resources or just spending that, that energy outside of us to try and regulate us inside. So I'm like, even just hearing that, I'm like, well, we need to make sure it's a priority that we can leverage our internal mechanisms and processes and technologies to preserve and to maximize what then we can then put that energy out for. Because then so that way, instead of using the external to try and regulate the internal, we can actually use the external to help build and cultivate our environment to then deepen and reinvest in our internal processes, which for me, it's all energy to help us go where? Help us maintain, evolve, and deepen our state of peace. Yeah. 
And I mean, so let me ask you this. If you were um, not Jamal Frewster, but were, you know, somebody just cruising around society, do you think you would be more um, inclined or um, um, persuaded right now in, in the world to invest $30 per month in a program that helps you better regulate yourself through breath, movement, um, reflection, meditation, or do you think you'd be more inclined to invest $30 per month into something that's going to auto subscribe you to get your vices delivered to you every week? My eyebrows raised as soon as you said that I was like, it's, it's automatic. They're going to go for the convenience. hundred percent. So what is the marketplace look like right now? I'll get you your shit that you crave. Cause I see you tapping on it, clicking on mm. it, searching on it. I'll get you that shit that you crave on a subscription on auto deliver to your front door, you're not going to have to do anything. Don't worry, I got you. Versus people signing up for coaching or um, programs that deepen their own internal reserves and energy for regulation. The way that we, the way that we regain our um, foothold on this life, because I don't think anybody would argue with the fact that life right now is pretty heavy and fucked. And it's because we're, we're, we have externalized all of our ability um, to find peace and ease. Mm. And the only way that we re-regulate ourselves as a species is to switch that. And, the, and we're going to have to fight the marketplace. But the interesting thing about the marketplace is it is always listening to the customer. If humanity can slowly start to shift into a um desire for strategies for self-regulation the marketplace will deliver stronger strategies for self-regulation if humanity continues to reach outward for vices that help us um, feel less of what we are feeling it will continue to deliver those things damn What's ironic is that listening is a autonomic nervous system centric event. And it's interesting that you're saying marketplace as like it's an organism because it, it, it involves humans, but these humans probably got fat stacks and are already good to go. They're probably have their needs met for the most part in from a financial standpoint. Therefore they have the ability to listen to those who are stressed as fuck, those who are running around, those who are in shit ton of debt, those who are trying to help a lot of people, those who are trying to, carry the weight of the fucking sickness of this this world in this this country and they are preying off of because they're listening to because they have the space to modify things however if we can empower people and inspire people and encourage people to do the internal work and efforting to self-regulate more and the marketplace sees people going from less from reaching out to then instead journeying within, then it will cultivate its resources, almost like an algorithm to make sure people have that available. And then another thing that comes up for me as I'm saying that is that there's people that say that they're coaches, there's people that say X, Y, Z, but it's important for us also to make sure that we as healthcare providers stand in integrity and make sure that for me, it's like people that do say that they offer a space, like that they're in integrity. So if people are in that space, it's so important to make sure, do your work, like make, because if one, it goes back to the conversation earlier, if we're not in a, 
integrity space, how are we supposed to hold the container in integrity for another? Yeah, and, and it's, I really think that um, whether or not people can um, articulate this because they, they notice it and acknowledge it, when we are out of integrity um, as a human being, it creates um, dis dissonance, um, chaotic Ooh. energy systems that Ooh. we will eventually try to get out of. Um, so a lack of integrity, I believe, is actually a um, what are they? What are they? What are they? What's the term they use in, in with drugs like gateway? Is a gateway. Um, a lack of integrity is a gateway to using external forces to try to feel less. Mm, why? Which is why, because it, because of that guilt and shame that it can, it, it creates in our, um, in our bodies. I think it creates this subtle sense of, um, non-autonomy, um, non, non, it's, it's disingenuous. Um, and I think it makes us feel guilty and shameful and we ultimately try to escape that feeling. So I think that a, a lack of integrity is actually a strong bridge towards um, trying to get out of feeling certain things. Mm, Especially is, because yeah. a lot of people, when they're doing um, things that are not in integrity, they're doing them from a self, um, I don't want to say a self-righteous space. They have already told themselves. It's either self-preservative or they've already, they've already created a story that gives them permission to do what they are doing Ooh, um, that, however the subtle the subtle soul the the subconscious is alert and and aware of what's happening man that's so good erica i saw her speak in early october and she said her reflection of a dysregulated nervous system is when people will often act out of integrity say yeah. something that they didn't mean, do something they didn't, that's not in alignment with where they want to go. Like just, just so much. So I love, so how does one go about strengthening their integrity? Because this brings light to, I think, uh, like what, what, a big final point where we can explore where it's the concept of your integrity is a part of your value system. And that creates the form in which you can squat life or life's demands physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So how does one go about cultivating their integrity? I think first, I think the first point to mention here is that it's going to require community um, because very few of us are starting this um, journey from a, a place of strong ventral regulation. Meaning a lot of us are, are trying to find ventral regulation from a state of fight or flight or a state of shutdown. And I think the first thing that we need to be able to do is in our families, in our communities, in our workplace, in our workplace, um, look eye to eye with somebody as I have with you many times and say, man, I'm struggling right now. Um, this is what I'm feeling. Mm. And, um, I just need somebody to be able to share that with. And also I need somebody to know that that's where I'm at because one of the biggest, um, deterrents from finding regulation is a feeling of aloneness. Mm. So when you feel like you're going at this alone in secrecy, um, because you're ashamed of what you're feeling, or you just don't think other people give a shit or, 
because it's vulnerable to share when you're not feeling great. You know, what's the standard response to somebody saying, Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good. Nobody's like, when do you ever get, when do you ever say, Hey, how you doing? And somebody goes, today's, today's a tough day. Today's a tough day. And I, I could use some help. Cause that would fucking stop you in your tracks. And most people wouldn't even know how to show up for that person. Nope. Vast majority don't. That's why they just ask good. Or they say, good. Yeah, I'm good. How about you? Good. And that's why we accept it. That's why we accept the good instead of saying, are you, are you sure? Is there anything going on? And we don't ask those secondary tertiary quaternary questions to get a little bit deeper. But to get back to your question, how do we, um, find a sense of integrity or, or, um, strength in a sense of integrity? Um, one, I do think that it, it has to connect to something bigger than self. Um, you have to have a strong enough why that is not just dependent on you, but is connected to something much bigger than you. Um, for me, it tends to be my family. Mm. Um, I want to show up as the best version of myself right now, um, with grace and space for um, the reality of life to also be happening, but I want to be able to show up as the best version of myself. And to be able to do that, I need to be making decisions that are in alignment with my values, in alignment with the values of my family. I also think that you need to understand your values. So this goes back into reflection. Who am I? What do I believe? Why do I believe that? What do I hold strong um, in my core values? And what um, are things that I genuinely disagree with or hold boundaries against? Mm. And then you need to be able to hold those boundaries. So part of being in integrity is not just outward, but is in it. Most of being an integrity is inward. Outward integrity is other people noticing that what you say and what you do are they match um, what you say you're going to do. So if I'm speaking one thing and doing another, um, or if I am um, telling somebody to do something but I'm not willing to do it or whatever, that's a lack of outward integrity. Other people aren't going to trust you. The, the biggest problem is if you don't have inward integrity, you don't trust yourself. So if you don't know who you are, if you don't know what you believe, if you don't know the values that you hold and why you hold them, and you start to fall out of integrity, either intentionally or unintentionally, you stop trusting yourself. When you stop trusting yourself, you have a hard time doing anything with confidence. Mm. When you lack confidence... And what you're doing, especially if you're trying to show up as a professional or as a spouse or as a parent or as whatever it is, you are going to feel a very um, dysregulated way. You're going to show up not in ventral regulation, but either in fight or flight or shutdown. For me, a lack of confidence creates a hyper-stimulated, almost manic push towards learning and growth. So wherever I feel not confident, I immediately put a ton of energy and a ton of time into trying to learn more so that I can feel confident about what I'm saying. Um, What I've recognized is that peace connection all the way back to integrity, like we talked about, if I'm not being um, integrous with myself internally, it doesn't matter how much I learn. It doesn't matter how much I do. It doesn't matter how much I push. I'm still going to not feel confident. Mm. there's a hole that's what I hear it's a, there's a hole yeah. right? where there's a hole in your internal integrity there's less trust and when there's less trust you're navigating the unknown with increased levels of stress which probably puts you in a sympathetic space fight, flight 
and ideally not, but you know, eventually freeze. But it's because you haven't addressed the leaky bucket that is your integrity. Yeah, and then so I think the the big thing here, and I think the one thing, if if people want one takeaway, after you have found who you are, meaning you have sat with yourself in some stillness and and reconciled what what do I actually believe and what do I stand for. Um, and you've recognized what you are not, and you've looked at those, um, ideas against your life currently. And now you can see, okay, there's some things that I'm doing here, some things that I'm doing there, even if it's not, um, bad things like vices and addictions that we've been hammering on, but your current work environment doesn't allow you space to be with your family in a good way. You probably need to find a way to change that. It it can be little stuff like that. So once you've identified um, who you are and who you are not in the values that you hold in the areas in your life that are challenging those values and those beliefs. The one thing that everybody can do is to stop making excuses. Mm. The excuses come from the story. If you can identify the story that you are telling yourself in your head that allows you to, um, do certain things or have certain beliefs or behaviors that you don't align with, but you have um, kind of given yourself permission to be a part of through that story, Mm. you are creating excuses from that same story, from that same story. Meaning that if you are trying to, I'm going to say something really simple. If you are trying to quit caffeine, because you are trying to help your nervous system regulate. You've noticed caffeine creates a, a sympathetic buzz, a feeling of anxiety and stress that only is heightened by caffeine. But every single day, there's a reason for you to grab another energy drink or a coffee, like your kid didn't sleep well last night, or you woke up you know, an hour before you were supposed to and couldn't fall back asleep, or um, you've got that work deadline that's got to get done and, and you just, an extra little spark, you know, one more espresso will just, you'll be able to hammer it out. Those are all excuses. If you can stay aligned with your purpose, your deeper purpose, that's bigger than self. I am going to quit or reduce caffeine because it is going to help my nervous system regulate better. I will not be stuck in a state of fight or flight and anxiety. And therefore I can not only show up to the tasks that I'm doing in a better state, but after I'm done doing them, I can show up for the people that I love and the people that I do this for in a better state because I won't be coming down from that stimulant and or I won't be in a state of stress and anxiety while I'm with them. Hmm. So that was my big aha surrounding caffeine, something so readily available that almost nobody asks questions about. Nobody's going to stop me on the street because I'm walking down the street with a, a, a bang energy drink or a, a you know a gigantic Starbucks espresso. Nobody's going to be like, hey, man, you cool? You need, like, Do you need help? Do you need us to call somebody for you? It could be my 10th coffee of the day. I could be tweaking my freaking ass off. And nobody's going to say a single word because it's, it's accepted. That's the danger. The danger lies in the convenience and the excuses. If you get rid of the excuses and you don't fall victim to the convenience, you will be more in integrity. You will find more regulation and you will start to climb the ladder out of either shut down into sympathetic and then to ventral or from sympathetic into ventral into a more regulated state that you have ownership of. Mm. What I wrote down is buck the acceptance. Yeah. Like buck the acceptance of what society shit, what society considers normal, you should probably do the opposite of. 
Yeah. So whatever's being marketed heavily towards you, consider twice as much as you normally would. That's a great, I love that, that frame. Consider twice as much what you would actually engage with. Oh man, I think we've covered the majority of what, what was coming out. That was a lot. Yeah. That was a lot. There's a, there's a great amount of great adventure. Um, I think one thing to close on, um, of course, we'd love your socials and things too, but you know, for you, what is the number one sign of a dysregulated nervous system and why? My number one, my, my most quiet whisper, my most subtle sign of a dysregulated nervous system is while I'm doing something, I'm looking for something else to do. Fuck. Whether that's I'm currently cooking my family dinner, but I'm trying to find space to get this task crossed off my to-do list. Or um, I'm at work and I'm thinking about not being, at, you know, something else that I'm doing. If I, so it's a lack of presence. Um, but a lack of presence is a very etherical way to say when I'm doing one thing, I'm thinking about doing another thing. And I think the why of that is, um, I regulate through action. So if I'm feeling dysregulated, cleaning and tax task execution are really regulating things for me. Um, I just have to be careful that they don't spiral into another, um, vehicle for sympathetic control. Yeah. Oh man, that's a that's a whole another. He will be back for an episode too. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a whole that sparks a whole another thing for me as the quiet whisper. It is a lack of presence because only you know where you're at. Same thing with your internal integrity. Like, yeah, that just brings up a whole another thing of when because only you know. But I know that. People know that I've experienced it myself in different ways and different forms and different shapes. So when I'm doing one thing, I'm thinking of another, like that just slapped so hard, but um, without diving into another spiral and the same things in the future, you know, is there anything that we haven't discussed that you want to make sure listeners really attuned to them? I really just want to make sure people who are listening, um, understand that it, it it takes a lot of bravery and courage to um, tell somebody where you are with vulnerability and honesty. Um, and therefore, I think that you should pick those people wisely. Um, but I do think that it is something that everybody should do. So as a challenge to anybody that's made it an hour and 10 minutes into this dialogue, your homework, your challenge is to find somebody that you trust, whether by phone call or sitting knee to knee and, and be real. Be open, be vulnerable, be honest, and see how good it feels to shed some of that weight so that you don't have to carry it alone. And then from there, start making positive action in your life with even that small two-person tribe. Mm. You can you can do a lot. Mm. Mm. That's delicious. Tell me, where can people reach out to you? How can they connect to you? And where can they find you? Um, so for people who enjoy email, Dr. Bonham at centered chiropractic.com. Um, for people who like Instagram, it is Dr. Jordan Bonham, all one word, all lowercase. Uh, I believe Facebook is just Jordan Bonham. Um, all of those areas I check probably either daily or every other day. Um, pretty good at getting responses back out. Would love to hear from people. Um, and, um, entertain questions but what one thing that i do not want to do is 
um, be a space for your co-regulation <laughs> because not only do I recognize I don't have the capacity for that right now, um, but I, for the vast majority of people that would reach out, I would not be that person that you've already built trust with. Um, so I would love to hear stories. I would love to hear thoughts and ideas and questions and comments, um, but I don't want to be invited into a space of co-regulation um, for a bunch of people that I either don't know um, or am not going to be able to serve. Mm. Mm. I appreciate I appreciate that awareness. I appreciate that boundary. Just been on where we're at. Last question for you, sir. If you were to describe your favorite soul coffee for the world, how would you describe that? My favorite soul coffee, what? If you were to describe your flavor of soul coffee to the world, how would you describe it? Oh. Um, I would say it's bold. Um, it's strong up front and it mellows out on the back end. Nice. Nice. I love there's a number of people that express themselves as bold and I'm like, I'm glad we got some strong fucking flavors of coffee out in this thing. You gotta do it, man. You gotta be bold. Beautiful. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Uh, as y'all know, I'll put everything in the show notes. If this resonates, please share it with a friend. Leave a five-star review. That'd be fantastic. And man, until next time, y'all. Peace. Thanks, Jamal. Thank you.